The book of Galatians has time and again been used by God to begin a deep work in the hearts of his people. It has been referred to as the Magna Carta of the early church, the Declaration of Freedom. It would seem that each time God's people lose sight of the gospel of freedom and grace, God uses this book of Galatians to bring about a renewed excitement, a renewed passion for what real Christianity is all about, Jesus plus nothing. Let's join our teacher, Ross Gilbert, of Crossways to Life, as we study the book of Galatians to discover what we have been freed from in order to be freed to. The book of Galatians. That's what we're going to study here this next five weeks. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I have to be honest, I haven't been this nervous before a course started since I first started teaching Growing in Grace, which is about five years ago. I, I, I am terrified right now. I really am. Uh, I, I think so. I hope so. Um, yeah, you guys are an intimidating group. Um, it's, um, it's interesting. This, I think it's, it's a combination of, of who are, who's coming. Um, I'm excited about the group that's here. Uh, but it's also a part of, of the actual material. Uh, the book of Galatians is, is, a, is, a, is a deep book. It's a big book. It's... Uh, is Paul's most blunt message that he writes in all his letters. And, and think about that. I mean, he, he wrote some, to some pretty interesting churches and, and some pretty interesting topics. I mean, the church of Corinth comes to mind. I mean, there was a church that was in such immorality that even the unbelievers thought they were a disgusting group. Right? I mean, they were having four-way church splits, taking one another to court. They were, you know, divorce was running rampant in the church. They were abusing spiritual gifts all kinds of people getting drunk at the Lord's table. Uh, one guy was actually sleeping with his father's wife. I mean, it was, all, it was a miserable, messed up church. And, and the letter Paul wrote to them doesn't even come close to what he had to say to the Church of Galatians. Uh, church of Galatians. And so, you know, it, it is a, a blunt, powerful letter. And, um, and for me to get up here and teach it, it's, it, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Am I willing to be that blunt? And, uh, and, and it's going to be interesting. It's, um, if you do some history on the book of Galatians since, you know, the last 2,000 years and in terms of the differences made to the church, it, it's interesting because, you know, it's been referred to as the Magna Carta of, of Christianity. Uh, what's the Magna Carta? History buffs. What's the Magna Carta? Uh, manifesto? The Manifesto, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's the great document or great... Uh, uh, freedom, right? This uh, this document that was written in, um, we'll say the 1200s. If I'm wrong, Google me and tell me later. But but it, I think it was 1215, um, the Magna Carta was signed by King John, I think it was. And, and basically what it did is it gave rights and freedoms to people. It took it away from the king. So he was no longer the this tyrant leader, but now that there was some form of government, some kind of rules, and really the people were now free from this uh, tyranny that the king had on everybody. And that's what the Magna Carta is. And so many people have called the book of Galatians the Magna Carta of Christianity, the Declaration of Independence, the, the, the document that proclaims the freedom that Christianity really is. It's the book that um, had a huge impact in Martin Luther's life when he went to go and write the Reformation. Uh, many, much of what came out of the book of Galatians was what went into the, his 95 Thesis that he, he nailed on the door. In fact, uh, Martin Luther called it my gospel, my letter. He, he had such affinity to the book of Galatians because 
that's what that's what led to the freedom. That's what re- was was so integral in in the reformation of the church and being set free from um, the the pope and the Catholic Church uh, rule over what they consider to be salvation. John Wesley ha- uh, was moved by the Book of Galatians in a great way as well. Uh, when he started preaching revival, he was preaching it out of the Book of Galatians. And so the book of Galatians has a great history of really, I think, re-energizing the church, of, of reinvigorating the church. And, and I, I was really excited. In fact, for five years, I've been waiting to really study and, and do this, this study on the book of Galatians. And, um, and it was earlier on this year that I started to preparing for it. And it's funny, and it's been, you know, four or five months of preparing for it, and I still feel really underprepared. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I'm not sure what's going to come out of my mouth right now. Uh, so we'll all find out together. But, but you know, I've been waiting to study the book of Galatians. But as I started to study, I, I started thinking, you know, I don't know if the, church, if, the, if, if the church today really needs to hear this message or not. I, I was starting to think, you know, does the book of Galatians really resonate with what the church is going through today? Or would a different book maybe be better? And, and I really was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe the book of 1 Corinthians would be a better book to study. Because, you know, the book of 1 Corinthians deals with a lot of the stuff that, you know, our society deals with. Our society is, is a society whose culture is moving further and further away from, from you know, God and, 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 and his way of living and so forth. We're, we're moving more towards where, where truth is relative, where immorality is acceptable, um, where where people are are living lives of you know really um, you know litigiousness I think is how you say it right this this idea of it doesn't matter what you do and and you know the divorce rate continues to climb higher and higher because this is the mentality it doesn't really matter and, and I was thinking you know maybe the 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 First Corinthians would be a better book to really understand and grasp but the more I studied the book of Galatians the more I began to see you know this is the book we need. This, this really is, this is a book that has a lot to say to you and I in this time. It, it's, a, it's a fantastic book. It, it's, it's really an incredibly practical book as well. Unless, of course, you think practical means giving you a list of rules to follow. <laughs> it's not that kind of practical. But it is a very practical book, a very applicable book. And, and it's, it's, a, it's an incredible book. So really, the, the last two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, are where Paul begins to, to lay out those applications. And, and that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. I can't wait till we get to chapters 5 and 6. That's, that's going to be our last night together. Uh, the first few weeks, we're going we're gonna to go through Galatians 1 through 4 um, and really start to understand that because that's the foundation that Paul lays in order to get into the application in chapters 5 and 6. So we're going to go through them, and we're just going to go verse by verse and, and see what Paul's trying to say. And, and I think as we go verse by verse, we'll start to see the clarity of it, the, the simplicity that Paul is really trying to get to. And, and the gospel message is a simple message, amen? I mean, in, in, um, in 2 Corinthians eleven three, Paul says, I'm worried, I'm concerned that you would be deceived from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that's, that's really what the gospel message is. It's a simple message, but what we have done often is made it really complicated. We've made it really difficult and far more difficult than it needs to be, and that's when we start getting into trouble. And so what our hope is is to really start to get back to what is the simplicity of it, and I think we'll discover that as we go through the book of Galatians kind of verse by verse. Does that make sense?
All right. So with that in mind, why don't we open up in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, you know my heart. You know my um, trepidation, the, the feeling of what are we about to get into here as we study this, this great book. But Father, I'm excited about what you have in store for us because I believe you, you have something uh, very special that you want to accomplish here. And I ask that you um, speak through me any way you see fit, any way you desire, that I would be a vessel for you to teach through. And my, my desire, Lord, is for your truth to be, to be taught in the purest form possible. I, I don't want to cause any stumbling block for anyone. And I pray that as we, we go through this study, we'll see how simple and clear your gospel really is and how we've um, either distorted or heard, at least heard distortions of it and, and led to so much of our problems. And so I confess my dependence upon you and I give you permission to do whatever you want with this course tonight, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, a little thing about your notes. Um, your notes are pretty simple. They're basically just verses and um, made it easy to make the notes. Um, and, and I just you know, recommend there's lots of space, ample space for you to add things to it as we go. And, and that's kind of what you know, the intent is. So um, uh, you know, great thanks to the people of Zondervan who allowed us to, to print the whole, the whole book in there. Um, so I really appreciate their help if they ever hear this message. Um, the book of Galatians. Who wrote the book of Galatians? Let's start with some easy questions. Who wrote the book of Galatians? The Apostle Paul, right? And who did he write the book to? The churches of Galatia, right? Now, Galatia, you need to understand, Galatia wasn't, uh, it wasn't a church in Galatia, right? It wasn't to a specific church in Galatia. Um, it was more than just, you know, churches in, in a certain city, right? Galatia really was a province of Rome. So here we got a map, and, and I think you have a map somewhere on page six. And, and here's a map of, of what was, you know, at the time, uh, Galatia. So here is Galatia right here. And, and Galatia uh, was, was dominated by Gauls. They were these, these French warriors, these, these, these crazy wild men sort of thing. And uh, it was about 25 BC when Rome finally... Um, conquered them, and they became then a province of Rome. So Galatia was kind of like, you know, Ontario in many ways, right? It's a province of a different country, and that's what Galatia was. It's, if you're wondering what that is today, that's modern-day Turkey, right? That's kind of what Galatia was. And so when Paul was writing this letter, he was writing this letter to the churches of Galatia, to all the churches that were in this, uh, this, this province. And the churches... These are the churches that Paul actually founded in, uh, during his first missionary journey with, with Barnabas that's recorded for us in Acts chapters 13 and 14. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful because as I started studying the book of Galatians, I, I realized that, you know, the book of Galatians doesn't stand on its own. The, the book of Galatians is tied really to the book of Acts because it is a book that is written in great context. And to understand what Paul is trying to get at, what he's talking about in the book of Galatians, you really need to go back to the book of Acts to understand what was, what was the relationship Paul had with the church of Galatia. 
You see, it's not like, you know, where Paul wrote to the book, uh, the book of Romans or the book of Colossians, he was writing to a church that he had never visited yet. And so he was writing those letters that way. Uh, he had a relationship with the church of Galatia. And it was because of that relationship and what was going on in those churches that so much of the letter hinges on. And to really, I think, understand that, we need to start in the book of Acts. So what we're going to do tonight is really going to start in the book of Acts. And we're going to do a, a study on Acts. So, you know, that will be for extra. And, uh, and then we'll get into the book of Galatians later on tonight. And, and we'll only really cover probably the first 10 verses of Galatians tonight. Uh, because you really need, I think, to understand the book of Acts. So, so turn in your notes there to page 7. And we're going to start with uh, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now, we're not going to go through all the verses. Uh, I, I, most of the verses are in your notes, but we don't have them all because uh, we just want to hit some of the highlights, some of the key things here. Right? So starting in verse 1. Now, there were in, Ant- in Antioch, in the church, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas and, si- and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, and Tetriach, Herod the Tetriach, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So here they are. They're, they're in this church here. And, and the church is in Antioch. This is the Antioch here. So it's, it's just, you know, uh, above Syria, which is, you know, Israel will be about here somewhere. And, and so here they are. They're hanging around this church with these prophets and teachers. And, and they're just, you know, they're praying to God. And they're, they're, they're just ministering to one another, worshiping. And then God begins to move in them. And he says, set apart Paul and Barnabas. This is the first missionary journey. I mean, up to this point, you know, there was no missions. <laughs> They were the first missions committee, I guess you consider, right? And, and they didn't, you know, set out a program to do this. It wasn't that we need to do this. It was God began to move in them, and he called them to work. And I want you to notice that, that the, the Christian life is one that does involve work. We've been called to do things. There is a purpose that God has. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, that the, he has prepared the works beforehand that we might walk in. And so God has called uh, Paul and Barnabas, he says, I, I have some work for them. I want them to go, set them apart. And so in verse 3, when they had fasted and prayed and, and laid their hands on one of them, they sent them away. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So, so here they were, they're in Antioch, and then they end up sailing across over to Cyprus here, into to Salamis and to Paphos, and then they eventually make their way up to Perga, as we're about to see. So, verse 13 then, Now Paul and his companions <clears throat> Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left and returned to Israel. But, but going up from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. So they arrive here in Perga, and then just keep making their way up to Pan- Antioch, Pisidia. So this is where they are. And it's on Sabbath, right? So that would have been the Saturday then for them. And where do they go? Why do they go to the synagogue? Why the synagogue? Why? But why, why go to a synagogue? Why not just go to the town square? Why not go to the corner street? Why the synagogue? That's where the Jews are at, right? Those are there. That's where the people who are hungry for God presumably were. So they went to go and, and just, they sat in on, uh, you know, a synagogue and, and, and listened to the message that was going on. 
in verse 15, after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, right? So they faithfully read from the Torah and, and you know, from probably Deuteronomy and Leviticus and so forth. And the prophets, maybe they read read from like Jeremiah or Isaiah or something. And so the synagogue officials sent to them uh, saying, uh, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, please say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen up. <laughs> you know, hold on. <laughs> Wait for this. And he, he delivers an incredibly powerful sermon at this point. And it's not in your notes, but, you know, the recap of this is he starts basically from Exodus onward. It's very similar to um, uh, what Stephen preached when he was stoned to death, but I think he had a little bit less edge, so maybe that's why he didn't get stoned. But um, So he begins speaking about how Exodus, how God brought them out of Exodus into, into Canaan and, and this land that, you know, 450 years prior was promised to them by Abraham, and then they went on to the, you know, all the uh, judges they had until finally Samuel came along. They wanted a king, so they had Saul. And they thought, took it away from Saul and gave it to David. And then he goes on talking about John the Baptist. And then finally he says John the Baptist was talking about one who is still to come. I am not the one, John was saying. The one who is coming, I am not fit to even untie his sandals. Speaking about Jesus. And he talks about Jesus, how he came and how the, the, the Roman... Um, Officials, they, they put him to death and they crucified him, but he, he came back to life, rose again, how his body did not decay. David did. I mean, you can go and find David's um, uh, grave at that time. You can still go and find it and see his bones, but you will never be able to find Jesus' bones. Now, this was within a, a short time, a short generation away, most, uh, you know, probably within, you know, 20 years of Jesus being crucified. So this isn't new. They've probably very much heard of this guy named Jesus and the story of his resurrection. And he's, he's beginning to put together the connections for them. He's showing to them that Jesus was the fulfillment uh, from what was prophesied to them in the Old Testament. And so he gives all the background, and then he says, okay, here's my application. And in verses 38 and 39... These are some of the most powerful verses I think you'll find in this, this passage here because it's, it's really the gospel. It's the summation of the gospel. And, and what's so important here is I'm so glad that, that we have recorded for us what Paul actually preached to the churches in Galatia. This is exactly what he would have shared with them. Anywhere he went, this is the message he would have repeated over and over and over again. Therefore, let it be known to you. Let me summarize why I gave you the history lesson. This is the point. This is the reason. Brethren, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins is declared to you. Forgiveness of sins has been accomplished. Amen? Right? How many sins did Jesus die for? All of them. How many people's sins did Jesus die for? Does that include unbelievers as well as believers. Yeah. He's died for every person's sins. The forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed. It's done. Jesus has paid for it. Now, it's interesting that here he is speaking to a group of, of Jews who they've just read the law. And in that law, they would have talked about the sacrificial system. When you sin, you need to do this. When you blow it, you need to do that. Offer this, this lamb offer this sacrifice, do it this way, this number of times, this kind of animal needs to be sacrificed. And here Paul says, listen, you know what we just read? 
I am now offering to you, I'm proclaiming to you that Jesus has paid for that. He satisfied that law. Now, here's an important point I want you to see. Because it goes on and says, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. You see, Jesus has died for everybody's sins. Amen. We agreed on that, right? So does that mean that anybody goes to hell because their sins are not forgiven? No. The gospel is not primarily about getting your sins forgiven and going to heaven. It's not about sins and forgiveness. That is important. Of first importance, Paul says. But what is the core issue is life and death. That's the issue, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but be forgiven. Is that what it says? But have eternal life. Would have life, right? In John 5, 24, He says, Truly, truly, I tell you the truth. Now, if someone says to you, Can I be honest with you? Can I tell you the truth? What does that say about the rest of the time? <laughs> A little bit shaky maybe, right? Is that the case with Jesus? That when he says, can I be honest with you, that we can be, you know, a little questioning the other things he's talking about. No. He says, the dead will hear my, my voice and they will pass out of death and into life. And he says the exact same thing in the very next verse. Truly, truly. The same thing. The issue facing mankind is not sins and forgiveness. It's life and death. That's the issue. That's the core issue. But we've made it about something else. We've made it about forgiveness in sins. And Paul says, I'm proclaiming to you, sins has been dealt with. Praise Jesus, he died on the cross. He took care of our sins. He was that sacrifice. Does that mean everyone's saved then? No. And through him, him being Jesus, everyone who believes, right? Our sins are forgiven, but not everyone has life. There are many people who are forgiven, but still experiencing and living under the reign and dominion of death. They're still dead. But to him who believes, him who puts his faith, is freed from all things. Now the word freed here is justified. Is made righteous from all things. You are released from all things. You are no longer under bondage. You are now free completely free, from which you could not be freed, made righteous, justified how? Through the law of Moses. What you just heard read earlier, he's saying, that could never set you free. But through him, through Jesus Christ, you can be free. So verses 38 and 39 are really the gospel. And, and you're going to see coming back, you know, throughout the book of Galatians, where Paul talks about the gospel that was preached. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what I think he's referring to. This is the summary of it. And that's so important when you start to understand the issues that the church of Galatians, the, the churches of Galatia were really facing because they had walked away from this. And this simplicity. Forgiveness of sins proclaimed, and now everyone who believes is justified, made free, from which the law could never do that. So therefore, take heed. There's a warning now. Be careful. Um, take heed uh, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. 
There's a grave warning, right? Because it's to everyone who believes. So we need to believe. And take heed that you don't. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. So here he is, speaking to Jews, and he quotes from the Bible to them. So they're, again, they're seeing what, what's going on. And so what do they do? As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them again the next Sabbath. Why do you think they were begging? What was so incredible that would cause them to get down on their hands and knees and say, please come back, please come back. I heard it. Who said it? They're hearing the word? Is offering light. For the first time, these people could experience life. They had freedom. It was incredible. There's freedom. And, I mean, think about it. When they were sitting there at the beginning of the message, you know, or beginning when they first sat down, what was preached at them? Law. And all this guilt and condemnation, you don't measure up, you're not good enough, you got to do this, this, and this. And then this wonderful message of grace and freedom comes. And it's like this huge weight is lifted off their shoulders. They're free. They're free. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. Please come back. Please come back. We want to hear this again. So now when the meeting in the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes who followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, were urging them to continue to, in the grace of God. So Paul and Barnabas says, keep going. Keep continuing in the grace of God. Now, at this point, I want to define what grace is. Okay, because... Because, I mean, that's, that's a difficult statement. I, I'm, I'm not going to do a perfect definition of grace because I think grace is one of those uh, words that is um, limitless in its definition. But, but there's some, I think, some key concepts of this word grace that are, are important for us to understand. So how would you define grace? What comes to mind when you understand grace? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great one. Undeserved. Merit or favor. Great. What else? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. There's that acrostic, right? Yeah. What else? God's enablement. Great. What else? God gives us something we don't deserve, that we didn't deserve. Getting what we don't deserve. That's good, too. I mean, I, I, I heard one, uh, one person explain it this way. I think it was Charles Swindoll. Um... Whereas justice is getting what you deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Right? That's another great one. Yeah, any other ones? Forgiveness. Yeah, that's another great one. Total acceptance.
There is a Yeah, it's a gift. Yeah. Yep. One of those with God's enablement says um, because we receive grace, we are able to do what He has asked us to do. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's what I want, I want to get at here because you know you might be wondering why did I put this down here, and and the reason is because I think there's almost there's two sides to grace that we need to understand. Um, th- in here, this is one aspect of grace, but this is another aspect of grace. Now, turn if you brought your Bibles, turn to Second Corinthians chapter uh, twelve. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. And here Paul has his, his thorn in the flesh, right? That, that thing that was causing all kinds of, of pain, this messenger of Satan that was tormenting him. And so Paul, in his prayer, he says, you know, I prayed to God three times, which is probably Paul's way of saying, I prayed to him a hundred times, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot. Lord, take it away. And notice this, God answered his prayer, even though he didn't get the answer Paul was looking for, right? And he said, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing that. Now, why? What was the reason for that? In verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for, for you, for power, my power, is perfected in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, what is God equating His grace to? No. <laughs> power. Right? He's, my grace is sufficient, because my power, my grace... He's made perfect in your weakness. So grace is more than just this here. It's also God's enablement. Or another way to put it, it's God's power to live the Christian life, or just to live. Right? It's His enablement. And so really, you know, in a broad sense, there are two sides to grace. This here deals with my standing with God. It deals with my acceptance with God. I'm totally accepted. I'm forgiven. And that forgiveness and acceptance, I didn't deserve it. It was at Christ's expense, and it was unmerited. Right? And so it's my standing. And this is rock solid. This never changes. And that's what's so wonderful about grace. But grace is more than that. It's more than just getting saved but now it's the ability to live the Christian life. It's the power to live. Turn to, um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and I think you'll see in this one verse, you'll see these two aspects of grace. 1 so in, in Corinthians 15 and verse 10, Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So what's he saying? I am what I am by the grace of God. Which of these two do you think it's referring to, that first grace? Is it referring to the power to live the Christian life, or is it referring to the forgiveness, unmerited favor? The top one, right? I am who I am by the grace of God, by the unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it. Verse 9, he says, you know, I persecuted the church. If anyone deserved to be hung up by his toenails, it was me. But God decided not to. I am what I am by God's 
unmerited favor, His great love for me. That's what I am. And that grace, that unmerited favor, did not prove vain because I labored. I worked harder than any other apostle. Yet it wasn't I, but God's grace, His power in me. Yes. Right? So at the end of it, that's the second side of grace. Right? So there's these two aspects of grace to it. Do you see that? Okay, so you say it's like a two-sided coin. It's like a two-sided coin, yeah. Given Often, yeah, we, we're focused only on one aspect of it, and there's there's so much more to grace. Well, I say this is our salvation, and this is now how we live, right? Now, here's the best definition I think you can come up with. Grace is a person whose name is Jesus Christ, and, and that's really the honest truth of it. And and I find it interesting when I talk with pastors, say, well, well, grace is a key component of what we teach. No. <laughs> Grace is, is, is Jesus Christ. It is the key. When they say that grace is a key component, they're often just seeing grace as being this, this top part, his unmerited favor, his, his, um, his total forgiveness, not understanding that grace now is the ability to actually live the Christian life. And this is really the topic that the book of Galatians is going to try to address because this part has been, been forgotten or distorted for the people in the churches of Galatia. So when Paul here, Paul and Barnabas are speaking to them, these people who believe, they were urging with them, they're pleading, they're begging with them, continue in what? Grace of God. Grace of God. You are saved by grace, now live by grace. Right? That's what he's trying to get at to them. So they're urging these people. And so the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. Could you imagine that? I mean, within one week, word spread. <laughs> right? You've got to hear these guys. What these guys are saying is incredible. You've got to hear this. You've got to come. So neither the whole city comes, right? Uh, but when the Jews saw the crowds, how are they feeling? Why? <laughs> no one was coming to hear them? They started feeling their power slipping away. Because they could control people with the law. And now here comes these Paul and Barnabas, you know, fools, these guys out of nowhere preaching this message of freedom and everybody's flocking to them and they're terrified. Just like the high priest was terrified of Jesus. These people are now worried. What's going on here? Oh, we don't like this at all. We we got to do something about this because we're losing control. So they are filled with jealousy and they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Yes. Well, but absolutely, they're not seeing it. They're rejecting the message. And so, but they're more interested in their control. And that's what they're, they're striving for. And so they're, they begin to actually blaspheme. Jesus isn't the answer. He's not the way. And they, he goes against them because they're, they're trying to hold on to that. In verse 46, so Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and said, it's necessary that the word of God was spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. You don't want it. You had your chance. So we preach to you first. For as the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. God's plan for Israel was not that everyone would become an Israeli in order to be saved, right? 
It was that they would be essentially the mission, missionaries, the high priests of God, all the priests of God, that they would go and share this message with others, not that they would become a Jew to be saved, but that they could be saved. Because think about what God promised Abraham. I will make you the father of many nations. It wasn't I'll make you the father of a really great nation with a lot of people in it, but of many different nations. And again, that's going to be an, an issue that's going to come up later in the book of Galatians. But so he says that, uh, that, you know, you are meant for this purpose to be a light so that many people, even the Gentiles will be saved. And he's quoting that just from, from, uh, from Isaiah. So when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice. You mean we don't have to go and follow the laws? I bet you a lot of guys are thinking, you mean I don't have to be circumcised? <laughs> right? I mean, you, is this for real? To, to, to be one of God's people, we don't have to become a Jew? Is this what you're saying? Great relief. Rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many have been appointed to eternal life, believed. Right? And uh, I'm going to touch on it briefly, and that's about it. But interesting. As many have been appointed, may have been called, believed. Free will of man, sovereignty of God. All together in one verse. Figure it out on your own. Let me know how you come up with it. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city. So they went to the people who had the most to lose. Right? They had, they had you know, a, a united front here at this point, a, a united reason to get together. And so they got together and they instigated persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And so Paul and Barnabas, they shook out the dust off their feet and protest against them and then went to Iconium. And the disciples are continually filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Right? So what do they do? They're up here in, in Antioch, and, and they face that first rejection from the Jews. So then they travel over here to Iconium now. But are they upset? No. They're rejoicing. They, where's their mindset? <laughs> On the things of God. Right In Romans uh, 8, verses 5 and 6, those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit walk by the Spirit, and the result is life and peace. But conversely, those who have their minds set on things of the flesh, they walk according to the flesh, and the result for them is a miserable life, right? Death. And so these guys, even though they're facing great persecution, they're still able to rejoice. They're still able to relax. Right? So... Chapter 14 then, next verse. In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. So they just did the same thing. Go to a new city, go to the synagogue again. That's where the people are who are hungry for God are. Go there. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. So again, here the Jews are. Don't like what's being taken away from them, so they stir everyone up. And, and start to, to launch an attack against Paul and Barnabas. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who is testifying to the word of His grace. Now, I want to just key in on this, and I know I'm running short on time here, but who is testifying according to the word of His grace. Who is speaking? The Lord. Yeah. Does that mean God showed up? And all of a sudden, you know, he floats down from heaven and he preached a sermon? He spoke through Paul. Right? That's this part of, of grace. God came to live in, in man. That's what's so wonderful about salvation. God's power to live the Christian life because God's in us now. 
And so he was the one doing it. It wasn't Paul. Paul's saying, it's not I, but Christ who lives in me. So it was God through Paul and Barnabas who was testifying to his word, granting that signs and wonders would be done by their hands through Paul and Barnabas. But it was all about what God was doing. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles, some with Paul and Barnabas. So when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe in the surrounding region, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So here, they're about to get killed. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful, right? That's flesh and spirit, a theme you're going to see in the book of Galatians. So they leave Iconium and they start going to Lystra and Derby there and again, preach the gospel, doing the same thing over and over again. But then the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So where they already were, now these Jews are following them. Right? They're trying to destroy, trying to disrupt them. Having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged them out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So they incite the crowd so much, they get all ramped up, revved up, they end up stoning Paul and Barnabas or at least Paul, and they drag him out. I mean, they just stoned him, and they thought they stoned him to death. Now, do you think, are, are you starting to see a pattern? Are, are people liking Paul? <laughs> no, no. When, when people plan to stone you and then actually do stone you, that's a message that you're not being liked, <laughs> right? That some people are offended by what you're talking about, by what you're saying. Just a little bit, right? And, you know, that's, that's the gospel. The gospel will offend people at times. Because it's, it's a shot at man's pride. It's a threat to man's power. Because it leaves no room for man's power in his pride. It's all about God. And so many people won't like the gospel. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystrum and to Iconium and to Antioch. So what do they do? They begin to then retrace their steps. They're about to go home, and they're going back to the cities, but now they're not going into the cities and then visiting the synagogues anymore. Their, their, their first part of the trip going this way was all about evangelism. Preach the gospel, get people saved, essentially. Now they're coming home, and they're going to have a different mission. They have a different purpose now on this side of the, of the trip. So what are they doing now? They're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now they're just meeting with the church. They're meeting with the people who, who were saved, the people who didn't try to kill them. <laughs> you know, maybe the Paul was a little hurt and didn't want to risk it anymore. I'm not sure. But, but he's going around now, and, and they're strengthening the churches. And this is the way he said, through many tribulations, it's a warning, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, let's understand, what does he mean here by the kingdom of God? Is this referring to salvation? What do you think? Yeah, on the surface, we might think that, right? In fact, if you were to, to lift this verse out of its context, you would probably come to that conclusion. But think of the context. Think of what Paul was preaching. I mean, the gospel summed up in Acts 13, 38 and 39. The forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you, and through him to who believes is freed from all things, of which the law of Moses could not free you from. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you can pull off. It's all about what God has done. But here, if this was about salvation, what's salvation based upon? 
It's about your ability to fight through tribulations. So if the kingdom of God here is referring to salvation, now it's all about your ability to handle difficulties and trials. Did you handle them well? Then you're saved. If you don't do so well, you're not saved. That can't be what it's talking about. So what is the kingdom of God referring to? Yeah, turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. Here Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. And specifically, it's not about following rules. It's not about eat this or don't eat that. Drink this, don't drink that. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about living by a list of rules, of do's and don'ts. Instead, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's walking in faith. It's maturity. It's, it's actually living and experiencing this, this life of God. So what Paul is saying here, and he's warning them, and he's saying, listen, the way to maturity involves what? And all God's people said, hallelujah, amen, right? <laughs> Isn't that exciting, right? That, that through many tribulations, you will begin to see the kingdom of God. This is John 15, the pruning of the vine, right? My father's the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am so grateful, I am so grateful of that, that he is the vine dresser. He doesn't, doesn't trust the vine dressing to just some servant. He doesn't trust the vine dressing to anyone but himself. So God, God doesn't, he says, I will be the one to conform you. I'll be the one to shape you. I will be the one to prune you. And I'll use tribulations for that purpose. But I'm the vine dresser in order that you may become much more fruity. Right? You'd be a fruity Christian. That's the goal. That's, we'd see the kingdom of God. Right? That's, that's the point. Yes, Danielle. So when he says in the nature of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God here, that's right. It's experiencing his life in, in growing in maturity right here, right now, not referring to one day going to the sweet by and by. Right? Think about it. When Jesus was walking the earth, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? It's here. Why? Because it's, it's me. That was, that was the point. It's not this far off place in the sweet by and by where there's the mansion by the sea. Right? It's, it's something that we could experience right now. But to, the way to grow in that maturity will involve tribulations. Right? So when they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in, in whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. So now they're making their way back home, coming through here. And from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So look, again, what God had done. It wasn't what Paul had done. It wasn't what Barnabas had done. It was all about what God had done, right? 
And God showed up in who? In Paul, in Barnabas. In the same way that God wants to show up in you and I. Right? That he wants to do things through us. That's why he's given us his life, the ability now to live the Christian life. Him doing it through us. Does that make sense? So that was Paul's first missionary journey. And the response was not, not very well for a lot of people, right? The Jews who were threatened, they persecuted them, and they, they, they did their best to trip up and, and to, to prevent the message from getting out. And as a result, many didn't believe, but yet many did as well. And so churches began to form in the area. And the, this is the group, these are the people that Paul's now going to write his letter of, uh, letter of Galatians to. Okay? So the, the, the key verse I want you to see, the, the most important verse, is the two verses I want you to see, is Acts 13, 38 and 39. Put a big star or underline or, or highlight it or whatever, but that is the key. Because time and time again in the book of Galatians, Paul's going to talk about the gospel. That's the gospel. Forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed. It's done. It's finished, right? That's what he said on the cross. It is finished loosely translated there's nothing left for you and i to do right it's finished it's proclaimed to you and through him through jesus anyone who believes anyone who puts his faith in him is freed justified made righteous made totally acceptable from all things of which the law the law of moses now could never set you free now notice again paul's very specific the law of Moses. He's leaving no room for doubt. The law of Moses could not set you free. Yes? Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we start getting into it. Yes? Acts 13, verses 38 and 39. Those are the, the two key verses. And that's basically why we went through Acts 13 and 14, was just to see those verses. And to understand, that's, this is the context. This is the message that was preached. This was their understanding. This is what Paul left them with. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.